Today's episode highlights include the German-Jewish community in Germany today, Germany as a diverse country, going to Germany as a researcher with a family, navigating German bureaucracy, and we have some travel highlights, the Baltic Sea Islands Rügen and Hiddensee, Bamberg, Berchtesgaden, and the parks in Berlin. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Max Lazar, PhD student in the History Department at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And since 2019, he's also DAD Research Ambassador. Max and I have a special connection. We actually met the first time when I worked for the Free University Berlin European Studies Program, or short, FUBEST, and Max was a program participant back in 2011. The saying, you always meet twice in life, certainly is true for us. Unbeknownst to both of us, we had a chance to reconnect at last year's Research Ambassador Workshop in New York. And now, without further ado, here's my Coffee Connection conversation with Max. If we were to meet in a German cafe, uh, what would you order since this is a coffee connection? Okay, yeah. So um, my answer last time, I'm judging correctly, would have been just sort of a normal cup of um, Filter Cafe, so just sort of yeah. black coffee, along with, um, what should we call it, um, some Mohnkuchen, so some poppy cake. But uh, you can't necessarily get this at a, co- at a cafe as much as at a bakery. The other thing I forgot to mention last time is that I am absolutely obsessed with Transbrötchen as well, too. So if there's any chance that that was on the menu, I would grab that post-haste as well. So they're super popular in Hamburg, and um, it kind of looks like someone took a croissant and smushed it inwards from both ends. That sounds lovely. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. But uh, I'm doing it great justice. But the inside just has a really nice sort of simple filling of like brown sugar and cinnamon. So it's just a nice sort of um, lighter touch, very buttery as well, too, like a croissant as well. Yeah, that is is actually very good. Yeah, I'm... I, of course, I get usually asked like what I miss about Germany, if I miss anything and bread and uh, the pastries and the cakes, I I definitely miss um, quite a bit about Germany, especially the Kaffee und Kuchen culture where at three or four o'clock, especially at my family's house, you had uh, some coffee and some cake. you, I'm just jumping into your experience the first time you were in, in Germany and just a little bit of background information. So we've met the first time, 2011, while I was a student assistant in the FU Berlin European Studies program and you were a student. Um, So just a quick side note, um, did you, did you also have Kaffee and Kuchen with your host family while you were there? I did have coffee and cooking with my host family when I was there. Um, it was more of something that was reserved for Sundays um, when I was living with them um, because both of them, uh, which called, well, one of them worked at a school until pretty late during the week. The other one was kind of off doing freelance art stuff. But um, that happened, I think, pretty consistently on the Sundays or at least like every other Sunday would work out that way. Your first experience, as I recall, was actually your uh, FU Best experience. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit more about that, how that shaped your, your career now? Yeah, absolutely. So I started taking German during my sophomore year of college. Um, this is after taking 
a couple of really great European history courses during my freshman year. I realized that I should probably get some kind of a German language underneath my belt. And, you know, in logic, that would have only made sense to, you know, a 19 or 20 year old at the time. I thought Germany's right in the middle of everything. I might as well start there and see where that takes me. So I started learning it, um, had some really amazing professors and teachers at the College of William and Mary, which is where I did my undergraduate. And um, after about a semester and a half of taking German, I went to Berlin for the FUBES program. And it was just an amazing help for my language in the sense that I was doing intensive language work um, for about probably three hours a morning, four days a week. Um, but also living with the homestay family and getting to know Berlin as well, too, just really stoked my obsession with Germany. So. Um, I finished that program and had a feeling that I just sort of had to keep on finding ways to come back in the future. No, that was my first experience and it really, it worked, um, it worked on me really quickly. What happened next? So you finished your undergraduate and then, um, tell me a little bit more about your career afterwards. Yeah, so I finished my undergraduate and um, I was really lucky to get a spot as a teaching assistant with the Fulbright program in Austria. So I spent a year working as um, an English language teaching assistant at two high schools that were in Vienna. Once that was done, I moved on to a position as a fellow at the Berlin office of a group called the American Jewish Committee which focuses on sort of what they would call global Jewish advocacy. So fighting against anti-Semitism, and also in the case of this office, focusing on sort of what the contemporary state of German Jewish relations are. Um, so those two years out of um, undergrad, sort of over there in Europe and Austria and Germany. And then at the end of that second year, I came back to the States and moved to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I've been ever since, um, with the exception of another sort of year break in Germany doing research. Um, I'm currently doing a PhD in history with a focus on German Jewish history at UNC Chapel Hill. How long were you, did you work in, in Berlin for this uh, Jewish organization? I did, yeah. I was there for a year working for them. For a year. So can you um, talk a little bit about that? Because um, whenever now we hear about like the Jewish experience, oftentimes it's not really what it is now and maybe other aspects, but it's really more in the context of World War II. And then of course you have all the movies here. So really there's just only this one side of perspective. Um, tell me a little bit more about the work that you did and, and kind of the Jewish experience now in Germany. Yeah, sure. Um, so it was all kinds of varied work. Um, so, you know, I did things ranging from doing research for different sort of press briefings that were going out about issues that came up over the course of the year, whether they were incidents of anti-Semitism or if they were things related to major initiatives that we were putting out there. I did some translation work and also a little bit of research for an initiative that is focused on commemorating mass grave sites um, from the Holocaust in Eastern Europe. Um, another fun thing I did as well too is that I was part of a team of different organizations um, from, I guess you could say, sort of civil society in Berlin that put together a day-long workshop for high school students in affiliation with the American Embassy in Berlin that focused on the legacy of Martin Luther King and issues of civil rights. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. On top of that, also doing sort of um, what's called diplomatic correspondence, as it were, taking down notes when we had sort of high-profile events at the actual institute in the city. Um, so, you know, 
you bring up a really good point here about the fact that most Germans are only sort of acquainted with, um, you know, it's not a blunt right here, dead Jews in this case. So the case of Jews that had been in the country before the Holocaust, as well as, you know, the sort of mythic figure of the Jew that we see in a lot of popular culture. Um, so Jewish life in Germany never actually came to an end. You had a really small community about 25,000 that was in West Germany, an even smaller one of about 500 to 1,000 in East Germany. And what's kind of amazing is that after 1989, um, because of the way asylum laws work in Germany, um, it became really easy for Jews from the former Soviet Union, or it was then still very actively the Soviet Union, to immigrate to Germany or via Germany to other places. So in the span between about the end of 1989 and the start of this century, you have a Jewish community in Germany that went from about, you know, let's say 25, 26,000 people to over 100,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And today I mean, it's kept on growing. Um, you know, you see sort of estimates that range to different levels because um, to officially count, as it were, in these statistics, you have to be a taxpaying member of the Jewish mm. community. Jews of Germany aren't. Um, I know I didn't when I was there, but I think there's some guesses that there are as many as like 10 or 20,000 Israelis alone that are living in Berlin right now. Another thing that's also worth just sort of taking a look at if you're uh, what's called for sort of younger researchers that are going there that are interested in taking a look is that um, especially in Berlin, there are all kinds of smaller groups of Jews in their 20s and their 30s, a lot of them from Israel, a lot of them from the United States, that have sort of formed their own little communities that are different from what you would normally experience if you went to one of the main synagogues that are there that tend to be a bit more orthodox in the way that they practice Judaism. So there's really a lot of rich stuff going on, but you know, just given the numbers of people that are there, there's always a good chance that you might run to someone and you might sort of learn later on that they are actually Jewish. That's not something that people are so upfront about as they are here in the States. Um, so definitely there's mingling. I think there, there's also maybe just like a bit more caution, let's say, um, about sort of, you know, showing all of your cards too soon. But that's a general difference, I would say, between things that happen here in the States and in Germany as well, too, sometimes, is that some people can be a little bit more reserved about personal information over there, unless that's different from your experience. Mm. I guess we could talk for hours just on that topic, but I want to go back into your general career and how um, Germany has shaped that. After studying in Germany, how did you go about finding uh, research partners and collaborators? The only time that I've gone to Germany for specifically, I guess, some kind of research day was about two years ago when I had a fellowship from the day I day to do um, doctoral research there. So in that case, I was able to work with my PhD advisors here to set up potential contacts over there. Um, it's also a question of even, you know, if you start early enough in the year, just trying to reach out to centers or institutes or departments at universities that seem like they're interesting, that they have someone you want to work with, um, that can be a great way just to start some kind of longer scholarly relationship with people. So the tip you I say earlier in the year, um, do you do you mean just in terms of uh, there's not like people generally don't have that much to do or uh, why do you specifically point that out? So I say early just because if you're working um, with folks at a German university, it's amazing to sort of think about how many layers of hierarchy that exist over there. So if you're trying to contact a professor, generally your email will first go to their secretary. The secretary will relay it to the top. Something from the top might be relayed back to the secretary to you. So it's just a way of having a good sort of 
long time frame um, in case there are any kind of, you know, stoppages, let's say, that happen in that kind of bureaucratic chain of communication. But also I would add to that as well, too, though, that it really depends on who you're dealing with, because there are some cases in which I know for other people that are in the same position as me as PhD students, they've been able to reach out to people and they've gotten answers almost instantaneously about working with them in the future. So really it's just sort of, I guess, a good sort of way to start, you know, a good sort of scholarly practice of being prepared and, you know, sort of being early on things. It's relatively straightforward, I guess, to actually have a family member come with you if you have a scholarship in the day a day. Um, there are all kinds of issues that can come up when you're applying for a visa. We can get more into that issue a little bit later. But in my experience, what usually happens is that you and your partner will have your sort of, you know, immigration status sort of, I guess, coupled together as you're going through the process of applying. But aside from even that sort of level of things so I'd throw out there is that it was actually incredibly easy to work with the day a day itself to actually get it approved that my wife. And I did not make you say that just for no, the record. You, you did not make me say that. Like I, it was uh, again, like I, I've had some great sort of visa nightmares in the past and, you know, waking up at one o'clock in the morning to line up outside of the visa office in Frankfurt, for example. So it was a million times easier to just have the day a day, A, say, yes, it's okay for my wife to come, and also to provide me with an additional monthly sort of stipend that was a boost to what I was getting as my base rate um, because I had another dependent that was there with me. Yeah. So applying for a visa, um, I so I guess, you know, from the perspective of many Americans, and rightfully so, Germany is this incredibly orderly rule abiding country where everything sort of ticks along to the same rhythm uh, no matter what the case is and when you're applying for a visa it's a great way of understanding that a lot of what goes on within bureaucracy in germany can really be just sort of up to randomness um you know question of which official you meet on a certain day are they happy how are they feeling so, you know, it's confusing to sort of go online and see, okay, this is the list of items that I have to bring or that I think I have to bring for the visa that I think is the one that I want to apply for. And what's often the case is that you'll arrive, or this is my experience, I've arrived and found out that I'm applying for, let's say, the totally wrong visa, or I'm missing certain pieces of paper. So it's um, it's always good to not just cover what you think your basis should be as far as what you're bringing with you to these kinds of appointments, but also even maybe thinking a couple of steps ahead about what other kinds of items might be helpful should you need more for an appointment. But overall, it sounds like uh, you finally got your visas, so everything worked out in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We never, we never got deported, which was good. Uh, <laughs> and, and again, it was, I mean, I, I mentioned this, uh, what you call it, another time that we were talking, the fact that at one point in time, when it looked like we'd actually overstayed our 90-day Schengen visas, they were able to concoct this thing for us that was called a Fixionbescheinigung, which for people that don't speak German is a fictional certificate um, that was this little tiny thing that I could carry around that was about the size of a passport that said, this person has overstayed their visa, but they have not really overstayed their visa. They can stay in Germany. And I think that we had a trip that was set up to go to Austria. So we also paid, I don't know, like 10 euros. And they said, you can also go to Austria on this visa as well too. So everything worked out. It took longer than we expected. Um, and it certainly meant that we were sort of, you know, limited to being in Germany, which is not a problem. There are plenty of exciting places to go there. But, um, you know, we should have ideally gotten our visas in October. We ended up getting them at the end of January. So it was an interesting process. 
for those listening who may have to apply for a visa, um, everything will work out. And I mean, also from my perspective as a German, I think if you if you're prepared, if you ask questions, people will um, help you. Yeah, absolutely. And the other tip I'd throw out there as well, too, just sort of thinking about fun things people is that if you can, um, Germans do a really great job of having a lot of sort of great laminated folders that work. <laughs> if you bring one of those there with you, then it looks impressive. You'll, they'll, they'll be like, oh, this person's lived here for years. And exactly what's going on right here. You'll fool them completely. So it's, it's the package that counts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keeping up appearances can really help out a lot. <laughs> you mentioned um, travel and tell me a little bit more about the places you visited and especially um, I know you visited some places that are maybe not as well known to Americans. So are there places that you would recommend uh, specifically um, to someone visiting Germany for the first time or maybe you have some time uh, longer uh, to, to stay in Germany and that's outside of the normal well, not normal, but not the not the big cities. Yeah. Um, so I've been really, really fortunate in the fact that I've been able to sort of go all around the country at this point in time. Um, I'll start off with something that's more off the beaten track for people that have a longer stretch, um, especially if you're in the north or in the eastern part of the country. Um, so um, there is a large island in the Baltic Sea called Rügen that a lot of Germans go to in the summertime for the beaches. And there's another small island off that called Hiddensee that my wife and I went to for a weekend's vacation. And it was absolutely fabulous. It is an island that is, for all intents and purposes, carless. So you take a boat there. When you arrive, um, there are all these different little stores that are renting out nice bicycles, but also somewhat bent or well-loved bicycles. Um, oh, that's so, cute. Yeah. Well-loved bicycle. That's a nice way of saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think we, we rented two bikes and it was maybe like, I think, 10 euros for us to have these bikes for two of us for, a, you know, basically like, you know, a full day. Um, so rode around the island. There are beautiful beaches there. And um, it's a great sociological experience because this was a really important vacation spot for a lot of big wigs in East Germany. So a lot of East Germans still, you know, sort of look at it very reverently and will go there. And um, East Germany had and still has a really great culture of nudism. So when you're <laughs> on the beach, chances are that you're going to be the only non-Germans there. And you're probably going to be the only people that actually have some kind of a bathing suit or clothing on there as well, too. Um, but it's really love with their families everywhere. It was just a really great experience. Um, and then as far as other places, I mean, the big cities that are fan I, Berlin, I can't say enough about having lived there so many times having had a long-standing obsession with it um was in hamburg when my wife ran in the marathon there that was also a great really interesting city to travel around and as far as things that are maybe off the beaten track um if we're going a little bit further south um we did a day trip to bamberg which was really fun at one point in time it's a great medieval city that is in the north of bavaria they specialize in making this kind of beer called rauch beer so smoke beer that has this really great kind of smoky bacony taste um so it's a great sort of charming place but there's so many other places to check out as well too i'm um, going south to the mountains so um, we just stopped in Berchtesgaden, which a lot of people go to um just sort of beautiful um you know, sort of area tucked in amongst all kinds of alpine wonders down there. There's so much to see, and that's just a small amount of what I've even taken a look at. In Berlin specifically, since you know the city quite well, what is there to see that's not 
the typical side and like what what do you love the most about Berlin and the best place to go to? I mean, Berlin is um, like you're alluding to right here. It's so different from the rest of the country. Um, I mean, one thing that is I think a lot of fun sometimes is just sort of like how fantastically dirty it is in some areas as far as the collections of like broken bottles, um, sitting down in the park and seeing beer caps everywhere. Um, but um, what's great, I think, is that people have uh, just a real sort of laid back attitude towards life, generally speaking there, unless you're dealing with folks that are maybe more sort of in the government sector of what's happening there. But there are all kinds of amazing parks outside, so especially if it's the summertime, you can just very easily set yourself up with beer. Um, something that uh, my wife and I are a big fan of is buying um, the so-called Einweg grills and just set them up in the park and you know make some sausages, um, have a good time. There's also just an endless amount of culture that's going on, that if you just sort of go into a neighborhood like Kreuzberg or like Neukölln, for example, or Prenzlauerberg, if you walk down some random blocks, there's always a really good chance you're going to stumble onto a great gallery, for example, um, or some just kind of cultural happening that's going on. You make me miss Berlin, which is really funny. The longer I'm away from Berlin, the more I miss it and the more romantic it is in my head again. And then when I go back, then there's also the realities of Berlin. And um, well, as you know, Berlin has a lot of traffic and a lot of uh, construction sites. And once you deal with that reality, then it's not so romantic anymore. But right now you really make me uh, miss Berlin quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been gone for at this point in time? Well, I have the, the um, great opportunity with the German Academic Exchange Service to go uh, once a year. And fortunately, I also, um, it's always in the summer. So I, when I'm there, I just get on a plane an hour and then visit family and friends in Berlin. And again, fortunately, because the meetings are in the summer, I get to experience Berlin at its best uh, because, uh, yeah, Berlin is really fun in the summer and in the spring but the fall and the winter sometimes can be quite long and gray there's nothing better than berlin in the summertime um also for people that are listening here as well too you get this effect in a lot of other german cities as well too berlin is a fantastically green city not just in regards to park space but also in the fact that most of the streets have these really huge wonderful trees lined up on the side so you have this great kind of natural canopy that you're going through once the bloom sort of hits in April or in May. It's just an absolutely incredible place to wander around. Yeah. And, and talking about uh, Germans and their rules um, <laughs> just came to mind. There are bike uh, lanes pretty much throughout the city. And as a pedestrian, you better stay on your uh, pedestrian side because otherwise uh, the uh, ones on the bike will be very upset with you and will tell you that you're not supposed to be on the bike lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, my homestay family, a story that's related to this, um, they were way, way out um, in Salendorf at Krumelanka, which um, for folks who aren't familiar, it's like all the way at the end of um, the U3 U-Bahn line. And um, it's a pretty quiet place. And I saw my homestay father getting out of his car one day. I wanted to say hi to him. And he lunged to push me out of the way of an oncoming bicycle. I almost got clipped in half by this thing. So... <laughs> <laughs> I've learned well since then, but you're absolutely right to warn people to, you know, respect the way of the road. <laughs> now you pretty much 
think about Germany, work with Germany, speak German um, on a daily basis, I assume. And and now and since you're in the US, I, I assume you also get a lot of questions or maybe sometimes stereotypes about what Germany is. Uh, what would you like um, Americans to know about Germany that's not portrayed in the news and, and movies, uh, something that you feel passionate about? Yeah, well, so one thing I'll start right off with is just the fact that um, once you can kind of crack the code on Germans, if you make friends over there, they're just unbelievably warm, caring and kind people. Um, the kind of you know help I've gotten from friends over there is always astounding. Um, people should know we talked about this at one point, too, that um, Germans tend to be fairly blunt about things, which... Mm -hmm. In my case, having spent enough time over there, I think it's quite admirable, actually, compared to the way that people talk sometimes here in the States. Um, so it's uh, like I can remember there are a lot of cases where if you tell so, so Germans sometimes have a preconception that Americans can be a little bit flaky. Um, mm. So if you tell a German, oh, we should have coffee some. At some you better mean it. <laughs> you better mean it, otherwise you're going to get a great eye roll from them. And if you actually follow through, then it's going to really mean something for your character. I um, just the other thing to mention as well, too, which, I mean, this is something that has, you know, been more in the news with the refugee crisis recently, but this is a longer standing thing. Germany is an incredibly diverse country. Um, no matter where you go, you're going to encounter people that have roots that are probably not exactly where you're finding them now, and that... You know, this is something that really makes it, I think, a fascinating place um, to be in this 21st century, especially if you end up working at a university, you'll end up meeting people from all over the world that end up coming there with groups like the Day A Day or the Alexander von Humboldt Stiftung to do work there. So it's actually a really, really great place, I would say, to go to experience not just this different culture of Germany, but also any number of other cultures that people are bringing with them that are coming from any other part of the world to the country. What's your experience outside of Berlin with, with specifically diversity and, and folks from, from other countries and other backgrounds? Yeah, so aside from Berlin, um, so when I was doing my research year there, most of the year was actually in Frankfurt. We were there for seven months. And that whole area in um, the sort of um, Rhein-Main-Gebiet is one of the most diverse parts of the country. Like the city of Frankfurt right now, I think that at least a third of the people in the city were not born in Germany. And something like almost half of the city's population have a parent that was not from Germany originally as well, too. So it's this incredible mixture there. And what was really cool, I think, about Frankfurt, which is an international city, um, even compared to something like Berlin, is that in Frankfurt, German was still a language that would really help you out a lot to get around in day-to-day -day life in a way that you could sometimes kind of, you know, fake it or just revert to English sometimes in Berlin. So, yeah, so in that area of the country, things are still um, incredibly diverse. Yeah, actually, so today is um, we're recording this on our Instagram Takeover Tuesday. Um, it's the 22nd of October, if someone wants to go back to our Instagram account. But um, uh, one of our young ambassadors is taking over our Instagram account, and he actually uh, talked about Frankfurt and posted some photos. And that made me realize that, yeah, the, the only thing I know about Frankfurt are the skyscrapers from photos and then the airport, but I've never visited, but his his photos definitely made me want to visit because it really looks um, very interesting, especially the combination of really the skyscrapers and the, well, the financial district, but then you have those old buildings and really the old history of, of Germany basically right next to one another.
it's um it's a really charming city i mean it's incredibly um what you call it incredibly open-minded um welcoming to people from outside as well too um there's some great uh what's called great theater there as well too great art um, they have this whole collection of museums along the bank of the mine river on um, the museums Ufer, that's really fantastic um it's a cool place it's a shame like you're saying it's a shame that people just sort of think of the buildings and the airport but um if you have a layover there which if you're flying to germany there's a good chance that you will it's worth stopping by for a little bit what is next for you um you're in your you're working on your PhD, so probably that's uh, the one question that you hear a lot and you hate to answer the most. Yeah, that's right, right, in the continued death throes of my dissertation. <laughs> so still working on that, still waiting to see. Um, I entered the academic job market for the first time this year just to sort of see how things work out. Um, unsure how that's going to pan out. If it doesn't pan out, then I'll probably get another shot next year. But um, as far as the future goes, um, just finishing the dissertation is the biggest thing on my horizons right now. Please feel free to get in touch with me is what I'll say at the start. Um, so I have a webpage that is on the website for the history department at UNC. Um, so if you go to that, uh, my email address is there. Um, it's very simply my name, all lowercase. So maxlazar at live.unc.edu. So feel free to send out an email to me. I'll be happy to get in contact with anyone that wants to talk about Germany and any kind of academic opportunities or just life opportunities that might be out there. You heard the second episode of Coffee Connections, today with Max Lazar. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist, as a side project as part of my work for the German Academic Exchange Service, DAD. You can find more information at DAD.org for USA-specific information and DAD.de for our central page. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at DAD.org. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.